Welcome to Medford's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roberts, and with me today is Kara Davis, a public defender with a private public defense firm in Umatilla County. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Umatilla County. And this is the first time we've ever spoken, but I do follow her on Twitter. We are Twitter friends, so to speak. And what I find intriguing about her is there's a lot of good info about cats, cocktails, and you're good at legal opinions outside of your legal specialty. So with that, I'll let you go ahead and speak. What's popping? Well, we've been busy here in Pendleton lately dealing with drug busts. They ran um, a snitch operation and put about three dozen kids into foster care and charged about 65 people with felony drug delivery charges. So that's what's been busy and popping on this side of the state. Wow. What, um, now do these, do you guys have, we have a big jail problem down here in Southern Oregon. We can't put anybody in jail and keep them there. We can't even put them in jail. Do you guys have a, a, is there room in the house, so to speak up there? Do you have the funding? Space, yes. Space is very, very limited at the jail. So far they've been able to keep most of the people that they wanted kept in jail on these drug charges in, but nobody's staying on any sort of Lower level charges like misdemeanors, domestic violence, Deweys, none of those people are staying in jail because there isn't room for them at the jail. Though when people are presumed innocent, I don't think it's that terrible that they can't be kept in the jail. But it does make it hard to convince judges to give anybody any kind of jail sentence that's less than prison because there's no room for them. Right. So are misdemeanor people up there serving their that have been sentenced, are they serving their sentences? Some of them are getting matrix, meaning they're leaving early due to overcrowding, for sure. But more and more judges just are very reluctant to do things like impose jail sanctions on probation violations or impose jail time on misdemeanors because there's just not a lot of room. So you see a lot of pushback from the judges. We're, we're not seeing them be as quick to give people jail time because it, it just doesn't accomplish anything. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about before. I, I'm kind of interested in your personal story because just reading off your company website, so to speak, there's a you've been around a few places. You started <laughs> out in Oregon and ended up in a, a few obscure places. One I had to look at the world map to figure out where the country was but that must be bulgaria <laughs> <laughs> there was always that that back in the soviet days when i was in high school there was always that uh, confliction between Bel bulgaria and albania they were like the secret soviet oh. countries that nobody knew what was going on in but anyway let right. me ask you this in oregon we have a lot of great minds here and everybody's worried about some big assault on the second amendment now can you ease their worries? Is the Second Amendment in any danger of being dissolved or replaced? Well, it certainly isn't going to get repealed. I don't, I don't think that there's even any movement among stridently anti-gun people to repeal the Second Amendment. The tension with the Second Amendment has always been what what does it actually mean? Like what rights are you allowed under the Second Amendment? And I think there's a possibility that there will definitely be some changes to the way the Second Amendment is interpreted, but I don't think it will ever go away. Okay. Since we got on that, how about the Third Amendment? It's only been held up to judicial review by the Supreme Court one time. Why don't we get rid of that? <laughs> 
I mean, interesting, right? It's the one everybody forgets about. I think the third and the ninth. But um, I don't – I think it's very difficult to amend the Constitution, so I don't think that's going to happen because it's not worth it. Yeah, and for for the people that aren't super knowledgeable about Constitution and its amendments, tell them how many times amendment – an amendment has been – repealed and replaced in the history of the United States of America. Just one. Yes. And what amendment was that? It was the 19th. I thought it was the 18th. Prohibition. Right. It was the prohibition. It was the 21st that repealed it. Right. So we're on to the 25th right now if we were to get a new amendment, correct? Yes. Okay. Secondly, we have a lot of nutty sheriffs in this state. Um In your county, you seem to have a guy who was pretty stable and then passed it on to somebody in his department. You've told me before that um, the sheriff is trying to help out, do the best he can with the crime problem and the mental health issues in your community. But we have a lot of these guys running around calling themselves constitutional sheriffs. Can anyone with a legal background define that? I I always feel like that's verging on sovereign citizen territory when people say that, but there is a belief amongst certain people that the only law enforcement that is constitutionally not just allowed but required are sheriffs. And so they believe that the Constitution dictates that there be sheriffs, which is interesting because we ha- we really didn't have organized police departments of any kind until around the Civil War stemming from the Pinkertons. So I'm not I'm not sure why they decided now, 200 years later, that they are constitutionally mandated, but but that is something that's becoming more and more popular to believe. Okay, so give me the short story. Give me your short story. You started out in the Dalles. You went all around the world, and then you came back to Pendleton. So (laughs) give me that. Give me that one. Uh, It's it's intriguing. (laughs) Well, when I graduated from high school, I I went to school. I spent my freshman year in London. Ithaca College in New York has a campus in London, and that's where I went. But I ran out of money, so I needed to come back to the U.S., and I was going to go to Oregon State because I love my beavers. But (laughs) when I was, I enrolled, and then I was thinking, oh, my gosh, no, I'm just going to end up drinking with all my high school buddies. And so I freaked out and last minute transferred to UMass in Amherst, Massachusetts. And I was there for a couple years. Then I went to work in Ted Kennedy's office for a few months, about six months. And then I went back to London and worked in a courthouse in London. Then I went back to UMass for a couple of semesters. And then I went and lived in Bulgaria and was studying emerging democracies in a post-communist era. That's what I was And what doing year there. was that? Like how many years? That was 96. And when did the Soviet was, Union call it good? Well, it okay, so when I lived there, it was still, it was a technically a democracy, but all the communists were still in charge. They were just calling themselves Democrats or something. I, I can't remember. They had some weird party name, but they, it was still the old communist politicians. And they had a presidential election when I was there. There was actually writing and bread shortages and hyperinflation, and people started protesting until the new, de- actually democratically elected president took over his term early. 
and they, they finally replaced all of the um, communists then. And then while I was there, I was on my way. I took a break, and I was in Greece, and we were going to go over to Albania, but there was a little coup d'etat, so we had to change plans last minute. There was still fighting in Yugoslavia, right. but there were I-4 forces there. Uh-huh. So we went through Serbia because we were going to a Pearl Jam concert in Hungary. Nice. And it was, yeah, I thought we were getting ethnic cleansed. <laughs> I threw a fit. I was yelling, you can't ethnic cleanse me. Awesome Americanski. <laughs> they, they didn't care. Did you speak their language? Not before I went there. I was pretty fluent by the time I left. I was pretty fluent. And I, I think, you know, if you gave me, gave me a few weeks back in Bulgaria, I could probably pick it up again pretty quickly. But um, people didn't people didn't speak English. I mean, at my school they did because the school was taught in English. But outside of the school, people in Bulgaria, if they had a second language, it would be Russian. You know, it wasn't English by any means. And what what was it like? Was it like a mess? I mean, was there Soviet propaganda on the painted all over the place? And <laughs> no. no, there wasn't propaganda painted all <laughs> over the place. But it was very Soviet looking. Lots of concrete austere buildings and uh boy the plumbing was an experience (laughs) and they had how about when you went to the store did they have all like the same tvs and the same plates and the same forks oh no it was a lot different like there weren't stores like that like there weren't people didn't have microwaves or frozen food you would go to the market and get the food you needed each day there wasn't even really canned food there and a lot of people didn't even have freezers or refrigerators you just set the food outside so you'd eat food that didn't spoil you know that was really very much plant-based a lot of the time and and you would just cook as much meat as you needed for that day and you if you wanted to buy fish you'd go to the fish store if you wanted to buy bread you'd go to the bread store you didn't have like grocery stores but it's totally different now i had a friend that went recently but Back then, it was it was a lot different. Like the trains, the the bathrooms on the trains were just a hole in the floor. Lovely. It was so, yeah, it was it was it was very very different. But a beautiful beautiful country and and so much heritage that actually was very well preserved. Like these middle medieval time, you know, monasteries or or cobblestone villages, just amazing, amazing there. And it has a lot of roses. Bulgaria produces 90% of the world's rose oil. Really? Yeah, for perfume. Cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. You can see all this stuff on YouTube now. People go everywhere and they take videos. And I mean, these countries are beautiful. I'd like to visit all of them if I had a chance. So after Bulgaria and somewhere else, another place or two, you ended it up... Ireland. Ireland. Ireland and... Yeah. How'd you get to Ireland. I had a work permit, went and worked there for a while, then I went and worked in New Zealand for a while, went to Hong Kong for the handover, so this was 97. What is your undergraduate degree in? Political science and psychology. Okay. Well, that's a good prerequisite for law. I mean, what are you going to do? Go to law school, (laughs) right? Right. It's a, I don't know what I'm doing with myself (laughs) kind of double major, (laughs) for sure. So then you went to the university, you went to the U. Yes. Yes, University of Miami for those based of us. On football. <laughs> and you spent three yes. years there, I take it. I spent a year there. I went to London for the summer, met a guy, ditched my all my plans. I planned to take a, a year off and go work in Australia. And I ditched my um, work permit and my plane ticket 
moved in with him in Rhode Island for a couple years while he finished law school and then got married and went back and finished my law degree. And then you were in some kind of legislative lawyering position. What what was that all about? I was a legislative attorney for HUD. So I was drafting all the legislation that dealt with HUD programs, homelessness bills, mortgage products, housing regulations, things like that. And you would also review, I don't know, like if a senator was thinking about introducing a bill and needed help writing it, we would we would write for congressional staff. Go to hearings, fun stuff. I like D.C. a lot, though. That doesn't sound very glamorous. So let me ask you, there was an article in the Oregonian that got scraped into the local paper here, the Mail Tribune, about the amount of people with uh, mental issues that are stuck in jails across Oregon. I take it a lot of these people are your clients. Yes, yes, a lot. There was a really great series on it in, in the East Oregonian, too about mental health issues in the jail, but the largest providers of mental health services in this county are the the jail and prisons. Oh, fantastic place for mental health. So give me the lay of the land of Umatilla County. Umatilla County is the third biggest county in our second congressional district. I've never been there. I've been to Hood River. I haven't been to Hermiston or Pendleton. I did a drive Google Drive by, and it didn't look like there was a lot happening. you had a Walmart and it got closed, but you still got one in Hermiston. Right. Well, no, we are. Our Walmart's open. Okay. We've got our Walmart. Costco? <laughs> no. Uh-uh. We have a rodeo. We have a very big rodeo. People love it. Okay. Pendleton Roundup. Yes. And we have the Pendleton Woolen Mills. Right. Right. Everybody loves a good Pendleton blanket. That's that's us. Sure. Pendleton Whiskey is named after our Roundup, but it's not made here <laughs> where do people it was owned by hmm? go ahead oh, it was owned by hdr but it was like bottled up in canada who's hdr in hood river oh okay hood river distillery do people go across the river to washington to shop or they stayed in oregon most people go to tri-cities to shop where's that it's about a say you go to hermiston and then across the river okay it's about an hour and a half from here a little less What's the tax over there? Out of curiosity. I don't know. I don't. I personally don't shop up in Trace Cities a lot. All right. So tell me the dirty details. How many capital crimes have you defended in your illustrious career? Well, I've done two death penalty cases. Our DA doesn't charge anything as aggravated murder, so I do mostly murder, murder, just regular non-capital murder. And I don't know how many I've done. Probably. A dozen, all by myself. Wow. How outgunned are you? Like, are you the only public defense firm other than private attorneys in your county? Well, we have our office, and then there's a consortium of lawyers that take our conflicts and take some of the cases so we're not handling them all. But they're they're not a firm. They're technically private attorneys that have an agreement to take public defense cases. And what, who's primarily funding you? Are the funds coming from the county, or do you have private? Or... It's, all, it's all state. It's all through OPDS, Oregon Public Defense Services. We have a contract with them. Um, we do a contract every two years, and our contract for a two-year period is just under $3 million. Though so we do consider other sources. There are other places that need help with their public defense, like tribal court, um, and we would consider doing work with them, but that's that's fairly new to us to even be talking to people about that. 
and how far outside the scope of, say, the public defender or the attorney, district attorney's office, how far outside of the scope of their practice do you do you practice? Like you're in mental, you're dealing with mental um, yeah. issues. Yeah, do mental commits. Obviously. We the, do mental commitments. Yeah, obviously the district attorney's not there. They don't. They do them. Oh, they do. Okay. They do them. They do not do dependency hearings now. The state attorney general's office handles all of the cases, the DHS cases, where kids are put into foster care. Those are handled by the AG's office and not the DA's office. We do some pre-adjudication work on delinquencies on juvenile cases where the DA isn't involved yet and won't be involved if we're successful in diverting them before they get something formal filed in court. But generally speaking, the DAs do work on the same cases that we do. Okay. And how are, how is it man for man are you do they have is it the same amount of attorneys in the DA's office that you have at your firm or do they have more they have more when they're fully staffed they haven't been fully staffed for a while they would have 10 attorneys we have nine attorneys they're down three attorneys right now so right now we have more firepower than them now I looked at some of the funding and they you guys are funded pretty well most of it goes to salaries which is fine I'm I'm all for paying people what they're worth. You go to law school, it's a it's an expensive venture. So you got to get paid. I mean, you're a professional. But do you run into issues in like um, where they have more firepower for like, you know, expensive laboratory type testing or witnesses where you need to care, you know, uh, professional witnesses or DNA testing? Obviously, you guys or even buying your clients clothes to show up in court with. Are you kind of able to fulfill we that stuff? Or are you just we short? absolutely are at a disadvantage. We're absolutely at a disadvantage. I mean, I have taken in my own clothes for female clients to wear to court, but that only works with people that are somewhere approximately around my size. But it de we definitely have so many disadvantages compared to the district attorney's office. And it can get really frustrating because there are certainly times where it feels like, hey, if I'm ever able to beat you, you should be able to doubt yourself, district attorney's office, because you have all of these cops that can do investigations for you. You have an in-house investigator, and, and there are all of these other resources that are available to the state that aren't available to us. So like I said, we've been really busy with that. The um, snitch case we have where this guy was buying drugs from everybody he could talk into selling him drugs for the last four months. The the, the BENT task force, the, the Blue Mountain Narcotics Task Force, actually have paid him almost $30,000 cash. Thirty thousand dollars cash that's not just what they paid to buy the drugs this is what they've given him in his hands there's no way we would ever have thirty thousand dollars to pay for anything much less to set people up for crimes so definitely we have disadvantages um, but that being said my last murder case that I finished I got completely dismissed just outright dismissed I had an attempted murder that I got completely dismissed. I had another case that I worked on before it went to someone else where the person was charged with murder. That case settled for seven and a half years. They're not exactly throwing strikeouts against our office. So we're doing something right. That's good. I, uh, I looked at your Google reviews and they were all good. There was one that said, 
all they want you to do is plead out. And to that, I say, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Right. <laughs> well, in the pleading out, I know a lot of people feel that way. And I feel bad. And some of our attorneys are better at explaining it to clients than others. It's not that we want anyone to plead out or not plead out. It's just some people have cases and offers where you're like, man, it's scary to give up that offer. I, I don't, I wouldn't, I would be scared to give up an offer like that. And then also they don't, some people don't seem to understand that we have a legal obligation to tell them what the offer is, even if we know they don't want it. You know, we, we have to tell them. <laughs> We're not trying to get you to plead out. I just don't want to get my bar card removed because I didn't tell you. Sure. So there's a couple things that you always seem to talk about, and that's your tenuous relationship with a district attorney. And I guess they tried to subpoena you one time as a witness on a case you were representing. Isn't that mm -hmm. an attorney-client privilege issue? I mean, how can they subpoena you as a witness if you have attorney-client privilege? Well, that was exactly my <laughs> my question. I bar complained the attorney that did that, and that bar complaint is, is still ongoing. But I, I never did understand what they thought I was a witness to, but my client's sister called me before I was his attorney because the, the police shot him. He got shot twice in the back, in the Walmart parking lot, actually. He got shot by in a, in a police shooting, police-involved shooting. So he's over at OHSU in intensive care, and the cops show up to question him, and his sister freaked out, and I'm the only lawyer she knows, so she called me, and that's why he wanted to subpoena me. I, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I can't really talk about it too much, but I, I, he, I didn't know anything. He didn't have any reason to think I did, but he had the officer call me and try and get my statement even after I was appointed to my client's case, and he just, he was relentless, and he went so far as when he was responding to my bar complaint to put a document into this publicly available bar complaint that had the make, model, color, and license plate of my car on it. Nice. Nice. Yes. Yep. It was. And this is while I'm going through that very contentious murder that I got dismissed. Not surprisingly, the man who my client was accused of murdering, his family is not happy, happy with, with me. Sure. And, <laughs> right. And they were so angry in court that I had to have a police escort to my car after hearing. And they know so where I you was, were, was, too. Yes. So please don't also give them my address, my home address, and my car, you know? Like, this is this is not cool, man. Right. No, I'm, I'm in full mm -hmm. agreement. So do you guys accept donations? Is there a way to donate, or is that no-go? Uh, I mean, I don't think there would be any ethical prohibition, but we never have accepted donations. We're doing fine financially, and I think there are other places that could probably use the money more than us, though it would be nice. It would be nice if we could get the state to give public defenders pay parity with the district attorney's office. That, that would be nice, but we don't currently need any donations. Okay. Well, I'm going to put a link to your website anyway on my webpage. We take fan mail. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you can follow Kara at Defends the Peeps. Very clever, by the way, on Twitter. <laughs> and she's a barrel of laughs. And has a quite a good following. Let me ask you one more thing. I was on a plane 
for an extended period of time. So I had to, when I wasn't sleeping, I watched a couple of movies and I watched the RBG movie. Did you see that? Oh, I have it. It's in my, it's on my stack of things to watch right after I watch uh, St. Elmo's Fire again. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> All right. So give me a happy note to leave on and we'll call it good. I think the snow's going to start melting soon. At some point it always does. Right? Even in Antarctica at this and point. And it's Taco Tuesday. Right on. All right. Well, thank you, Kara. It's been a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we can meet up someday. Sure. That would be fun. All right. Thank you. And I forgot to mention that Kara works for the Intermountain Public Defender's Office. That's a nonprofit organization up in Pendleton. And I want to thank her for joining me and thank her for her service. And as far as the podcast goes, the song remains the same. The list is long, but I'm always open for someone who can hold a conversation that has entertainment value, has something to plug or pimp. If you want to talk to me, I might want to talk to you. You can reach me at medfordsbestpodcast at gmail.com.